Good morning again. Thank you, Mike. While I'm getting started here, I need to share uh, a story. Mike knows I'm always a bit nervous when I when I do this, and so he said, "Well, Stan, start out with something that uh, makes you feel the most comfortable." But I didn't think my hammock would fit up here, <laughs> so uh, I thought about. Uh, some other things. I wore my favorite color this morning. I did some of those things that might uh, that might help help me feel more comfortable. And then I realized the thing that might help me feel the most comfortable was just to trade places with Mike. But uh, that's uh, that's not an option this morning. Actually, uh, it's quite a privilege to uh, be able to teach this morning and pray that God uh, uses this this time together. Uh, just since we have some teachers amongst us here this morning. By way of review, the, the last time I taught, does anybody remember what I taught about? Communication, encouragement, yeah, great, okay, great, okay, well maybe I'll have to do this again then, if some sort of an impact. Uh, encouragement is something I feel really uh, strongly about, and, and maybe uh, to start off with, I uh, would just like to ask you to think about uh, the last, thank you, Samuel the last week, and have you been able to encourage the body in this last week? Either corporately or individually, encourage someone. I think uh, we know there are gifts of encouragement, but none of us are meant to be discouragers. We're all to be encouraging. So have, have you been able to encourage someone in the body this last, this last week? And uh, so as to stay encouraging, if you haven't, uh, we have next week ahead of us. So think of ways that you can be encouraging to, uh, to the body, to fellow believers, to your family members this, this week upcoming. I'm going to be talking this morning about something else that I feel equally uh, passionate about. And uh, I've entitled, Who Are You Trying to Please? And I, I passed around a little handout more so that you could sort of... Uh, keep me online and uh, help me uh, stay organized there. It just has the verses that I'll be using and some of the themes that I'll be using. So hopefully that's, that's helpful to you. It was to me as I, as I prepared it. My thoughts this morning will, will be around uh, the subject of the differences between character, which I'll define as pleasing God, and reputation, which I'll define as pleasing man. If you look in the dictionary, uh, Webster has many definitions of character and reputation, uh, most of which are very, very good. So I certainly don't want you to leave this morning thinking uh, that uh, you should have either bad character or bad reputation. I, I, hope, you have, I hope you have both. But uh, I want to talk about character as how God knows us, what God knows of us, and reputation as what man knows of us. I think we all know where to be God-pleasers. Uh, the answer to my question is uh, somewhat rhetorical. Of course, we're to be God-pleasers. We're to, we're to serve God. We're to bring glory to him. We're to do his will. Uh, do we live that out? I want to look this morning at what Christians before us, and most importantly, Scripture, uh, has to say about, uh, about this subject. I want for us to think more about what it means to be people of character that stand out uh, in our world. And as we begin, uh, I would just like to offer uh, one more prayer, probably mostly on my behalf before the Lord. <laughs> Lord, we do uh, pray that our time this morning would be both encouraging and challenging, and I pray that, that the message that 
uh, you've used uh, to convict me and, and be so powerful in my life might uh, also be of use here this morning in, in this body of believers. We thank you for meeting here with us. In Jesus' name, amen. As I've alluded to already, let me say right up front that this area is a particular struggle in uh, my life, and, and certainly don't raise your hands, but are there other people pleasers uh, out here? Uh, are there other folks that uh, want to look good in front of people, struggle with wanting to be liked? Now, that's not always a bad uh, thing, I suppose, and unless, unless you'll do whatever it takes to achieve it, Maybe that means not speaking up when you know you should speak up. A conversation at work or at school or uh, in the mall or wherever you might be and you just feel the Holy Spirit nudging you to say something about Christ or to say something spiritual, but you don't say it because you're afraid you won't look good or you're afraid you'll you'll be embarrassed. Maybe it looks like this. Maybe... You shouldn't do something, and you know it, but you do it anyway because your friends are doing it or the people around you are doing it, and you don't want to look, you don't want to look bad. You don't want to look different. You don't want to say no when everything inside of you is, is screaming at you to say no. And as all sin does, it comes back to pride. Scripture tells us not to think more highly of ourselves than we ought, and uh, that certainly holds true for those, uh, those around us as well. We don't want them to, to think more highly of us than than they ought. Thomas Akempis said this, we should choose rather to have the whole world against us than to offend God. I don't know what that looks like to you, but uh, I sort of pictured myself running towards the Father with an army of people behind chasing me. And uh, better to be headed his direction and have upset the world behind us uh, Maybe in, uh, in the uh, Lord of the Rings, the analogy would be Frodo with all of the armies of Mordor following him. Um, it's better for us to have the whole world against us than to offend God. Who are we trying to please? I'll ask that question uh, repeatedly through the morning and, and want you to, to think of it from your perspective as I think of it from my perspective. We obviously have the option to please either God or or man. It requires we daily make the choice. As Mike taught a couple of weeks ago on faith, um, faith is an easy thing to say that we have. But uh, he challenged us to to watch how we live and to look at how people live to see if there was really an evidence of faith. And I would certainly say the same thing is true of of character. Watching how we live, others watching how we live is an important part of living a life of character. Character or reputation, again, who are we trying to please? Good reputation is when someone thinks you are good. Good character is when you truly are good or truly do something good. There's a major difference. Are we the real deal, as, we're, as the expression says, or are, all we are, are we all show? Men, uh, pick on you just a bit this morning. Um, is the is the man that is here this morning on this on this Sunday morning the same man that your coworkers know, the same man that your friends know? Uh, do you have to change when when you come to church and walk in here this morning, or can can we walk in and and just be uh, the the men of character that we are? Women, I suppose the same question should be, could be asked of you parents. 
Uh, are we genuine? Are we consistent in our faith? Um, are, our ch- are our children surprised when uh, they see and confused when they see us at church worshiping and praying and being friendly and, and acting Christ-like? Is that, is that something they expect because they see that throughout the week, or, or are, they a bit, are they a bit surprised by that? I certainly pray that they're that they're not students. Uh, we have students here of all ages. Uh, do your friends at school, do your friends apart from school on the soccer team and wherever else you might be, do they know you're a Christian? Have you uh, taken the opportunity to share that you're a Christian? I would certainly hope that you would have taken that opportunity. Twenty-five years ago, when I told Teresa I was a Christian, she was shocked. Um, she was surprised. She looked at me and uh, didn't believe that I was a Christian. She had known some Christians. And yes, that does not speak well of Stan. She had known some Christians and had seen them uh, live life a certain way and had seen me live it another way. And she really challenged me uh, in that area. And, and I realized that I had been very phony uh, in my Christian uh, belief. I had been very concerned about reputation, but, but character, my relationship with God, had not been a priority at that point. And, uh, she certainly uh, played a big role in, in, uh, in me turning my life around. Uh, my mom's here this morning, and I didn't know she was going to be here this morning, but I, I need to add that my mom had to deal with those years before Teresa and I got things turned around and uh, still, still loved me, and so I appreciate that very much. Today, who are we trying to please? Character is what God knows of us. Reputation is what man thinks of us. Those are worlds apart. We need to be people of character. D.L. Moody said this, Character is who we are in the dark. Think about that. Character is who we are in the dark. When no one seems to be watching... Who are we pleasing? Uh, Another said, and one of my sources gave Abraham Lincoln credit for this, character is who you are before God and the angels. Character is who you are before God and the angels. That's where it really matters. All right, who are we trying to please? If you want to open your Bibles now to Galatians chapter 1, we'll spend a little bit of time there. Paul is writing to a church that has literally polluted the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're de-emphasizing the power of the cross, among other things, which, of course, is the very cornerstone of our faith. Is this a time for Paul to worry about offending the Galatian church? No, it's, it's, it's not. The message of salvation was at stake. He wasn't worried about whether they'd like his message or not, whether his words would be pleasing to them or not whether he was uh, politically, politically correct. He wasn't worried about whether or not uh, he was tolerant of all beliefs. He had to please God. He had no other choice. And we know Paul uh, is known for being bold. He wasn't shy about what he believed. He didn't worry about his reputation before man, but showed his true character. In Galatians chapter 1, verse 10, I'll read, Am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God? Am I still trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. In other words, 
You can't live the Christian life trying to please man. Paul says here it can't be done. Now, um, don't get me wrong. We certainly are to serve others. We are to obey others in authority over us. We are to do things that are pleasing to other people, but all uh, for the purpose of honoring and pleasing God. Who are we trying to please this morning? The Galatian church was struggling with this, with this very issue. And over in chapter 6, verse 12, it says this. Those who want to make a good impression outwardly are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. They're worried about their reputations within the church when they should be thinking about pleasing God. Uh, I love what Paul says in verse 11. Right above that he says, See what large letters I use to write you with my own hand? Um, I don't know about you, if you ever want to make a point, is anybody capitalize at work? Sometimes we'll get a memo from one of our bosses, and there'll be a whole page worth of, worth of stuff, maybe look something like this. Uh, but there'll be two or three sentences that'll be capitalized or bold or italics or whatever, and, and I just go right to those. <laughs> I figure that's, that's the important stuff. This is an important message that Paul wants to, wants to uh, get through. In, in Scripture, many times, repetition is used as a way of emphasizing something that's very, very important. Paul wants to teach us to please God, to be people of character. Who are you trying to please this week, past week? Who am I trying to please? Turn over, if you will, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Here Paul and his team have encountered strong opposition to the gospel. Uh, so they stopped preaching. No. <laughs> so they preached it. They preached it anyway. Paul encourages and challenges those at Thessalonica by taking a strong stand for the faith. And I want to read to you from verse 4 where he writes, We speak as men approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please men, but God who tests our hearts. In other words, it's not man who will test our hearts or judge our hearts. It's the Almighty God. Verse 6 goes on to say, We were not looking for praise from men, not from you or anyone else. Who are we trying to please? We need to be more like Paul. Uh, does it many times cost us something? You bet. Earthly, Paul's a perfect example of that, isn't he? Earthly, it cost Paul everything. I, I think we would all argue that eternally he's doing okay. But earthly, uh, it, it cost him his very life. Everyone, as I uh, looked at uh, the word character, see, seems to have something to say about this subject. <clears throat> Even uh, old Mark Twain, not known for, uh, for uh, strength in this area, said this. Every man is a moon and has a dark side which he never shows to anybody. Every man is a moon and has a dark side which he never shows to anybody. Is that true of us? We like to show our good side, don't we? I, I do. I like to show my good side. That's reputation. But what's lurking in the shadows of our life that needs Christ's light? Let's be people of character. 
The Bible, Bible is full of, of great examples of people of character. Daniel, um, was he a, a man-pleaser or a God-pleaser? He obviously was a God-pleaser, wasn't he? He was told not to pray, and uh, he continued to pray because he knew that that would be honoring and pleasing God. Did it cost him something? You bet. It cost him a night uh, in a bad hotel. Didn't it cost him a night, a night, with, the, a night with the lions? They weren't second-hand lions, in case any of you have seen that uh, picture. These were lions that uh, should have uh, ended his life, but God, God protected him. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the same book, which Mike taught through uh, here over the last number of months, which is such a treat for us. Definite God-pleasers. They wouldn't bow to the statue of the king. They only bowed and worshipped God. They found themselves in a furnace. And it turns out God saved them. But one of the key parts of the story is, but if not, you know, but if not, they were willing to die for their Savior. They were certainly people of character. Boaz. Uh, again, as Mike taught through the book of Ruth, I was impressed with him as a man of character. He, he could have taken advantage of Ruth and the situation, but he didn't. He protected her. He was a, a man of character. Samuel had to learn a lesson about the difference. This is Samuel in the Bible, so, so that Samuel didn't think I'm picking on him. Samuel, and, and this comes from uh, 1 Samuel 16, if you want to look at it later. Samuel had to learn a lesson about the difference between the outward appearance, reputation, and the inward qualities, character, when God sent him to find a king. He sent him to the home of Jesse, and there were lots of sons to pick from. And Samuel thought, wow, this will be great. And uh, he saw Eliab, or Eliab, or forgive my pronunciation, this, uh, this son over there that looked right. Big, probably strong, we're told. I'm sure he must have been handsome. He looked like a king. Must be the guy. Samuel just had his, had his eye on him. Must be the guy. When I think of Eliab, and this is probably uh, not, uh, not uh, to his fault at all, when I think of Eliab, I couldn't help but thinking of the Beauty and the Beast and Gaston. Uh, Gaston, uh, just handsome and strong, great on the outside. But as we know from the story, he lacked a lot on the inside. I don't know if Eliab lacked as much as Gaston did on the inside, but he certainly wasn't the right man for the job. God says to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. Samuel must have been thinking, my goodness, you know, why not him? He, he's, he looks the best. Surely he would be the best. God goes on to say, the Lord does not look at the things of man, the things that man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. We all know the end of the story. David was picked, a boy. Uh, didn't appear to have the skills needed, at least not at that point in his life, to be king. But God knew his heart. Uh, David had the, had the heart that God wanted him to have. Jesus addresses this subject many, many times. We'll look at several of those here in Luke chapter 6, verses 22 and 23. <clears throat> Jesus says this, Blessed are you when men hate you. Now, for those of us that are people-pleasers, that, that just kills us. But keep in mind here, uh, 
We're not being hated for being despicable or hated for being awful. Let's, let's read on. When they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. So, when they hate us because we're like Jesus, then we receive the blessing that he had talked about. It goes on to say, rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven. And that's where we want our rewards, right? We want, them in, we want them in heaven. But for some reason, we try so hard to earn them here. Who are we trying to please? Jesus even goes on to say in verse 26, Woe to you when all men speak well of you. Now think about that. Woe to you when all men speak well of you. So if you're pleasing people, all the people, all the time, um, you're, you're not pleasing God. Woe to you when all men speak well of you. And I do want to be careful here. I don't want to teach us to be intentionally offensive. First Peter has a lot to say about that. We're to share the gospel with gentleness and with respect of others. But when we're sharing the gospel, there will be some that will be offended by it. When we're sharing the gospel, there will be some that will be even more than offended. They will be hostile towards us. the saving message of Jesus, uh, the power of the cross that we profess here this morning, um, many in the world reject. John 12, 43, John says this to the Pharisees, they loved the praise of men more than they loved the praise of God. Let that not be said of us in this body this morning. Matthew records in the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 6, Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men, to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. We're to be God-pleasers, not man-pleasers. Who do we want us giving our rewards, giving us our rewards? We want our God to be giving us our rewards. Ananias and Sapphira, I won't go into the details, but in Acts chapter 5, they're a horrible example of people who were more concerned with their reputation, how they looked, again, before the church, and less concerned with their true character and honesty. And they paid with their very lives. Even Jesus in John 5, chapter 30, said, I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. May we be God-pleasers and not man-pleasers. Reputation versus character. Reputation, what others think of me, getting praise from man, what I show in public, sometimes even who I pretend to be, character, what God thinks of me, desiring praise from him, what I do in private, who I really, really am. Reputation is very temporary. Character is eternal. It's permanent. Matter of fact, I learned from a group of men I meet with, one of whom is here this morning, that uh, the root for the word character means etched in stone. It's permanent. Who do we want to be pleasing? A word picture I thought of uh, for illustration purposes is is that of a ship. Um, I think I used that last time, too. I like ships. I've never been sailing. I'd like to go sailing sometime. If anybody sails, let me know. Uh, The sail would be our reputation. 
up here blowing in the wind. Teresa reminds me I do that sometime. <laughs> up here blowing in the wind. Uh, what part of the ship do you think would symbolize character? The rudder. Yeah, the rudder. Um, out of sight, uh, beneath the surface of the water, not seen, back of the boat, bottom, uh, not visible, but directing our course. Uh, if we just had a sail, we, we, could, we could blow around the sea, couldn't we? We could, we could, but who knows where we'd go? The rudder is what directs our path. That's character. May we be people of character. Another illustration that, uh, that fit this teaching was Eric Little, the great runner from, from Scotland back in the 1920s, who later went on to serve as a missionary in China and, and spend his days uh, serving God, was forced to make a decision that I think was certainly between character and reputation. Uh, he was preparing for the 1924 Olympic Games. Many of you have seen the movie Chariots of Fire, and uh, it depicts his story. He was the fastest 100-yard sprinter in the world, heavily favored to win the gold medal in that event. There was only one problem and that is that the first heat was on Sunday. Not even the main race, but the first heat, and to get to the main race, you had to run the first heat. Eric Little didn't spend his Sundays on the track. He spent them in church. He spent them worshiping. But he had a choice to make. Please God, not run, disappoint, even outrage uh, the entire UK who saw him as the man who could bring home the gold for the country. You know, Do this one for your country, Eric. His coach even said, uh, at least in the movie, just this one time. Just this one time. But Eric Little never wavered. He had made it a habit to please God throughout his life. So when the test came, when, when, when he was called on to make this difficult decision, uh, he, he was ready. May we be ready as well. I spent some time last week in Atlanta, Georgia, as, as many of you know. And on Saturday afternoon, I, I was driving over to Montgomery, Alabama. I had been following this Ten Commandments uh, situation rather closely and just wanted to, I was only a couple of hours away, so I thought I wanted to go there, be there, experience it, see what it was like. And, it was sort of a very quiet, sad place. You look in the, the area there, and there's just an empty area where it used to have been. And uh, so I was sort of pondering that, but I had a little treat along the way. And the treat was this sign that said, Tuskegee, three miles. Huh? Tuskegee. There can't be too many Tuskegees. Tuskegee Institute, George Washington Carver. Couldn't this really be? It didn't even, there, there wasn't even a sign on the highway that said anything about that. I thought, well, you know, my goodness, I'm just I'm going to go back to Atlanta and spend the night. At my flight wasn't until Sunday. I'll I'll pull in and see what I can learn. And sure enough, it was the place where uh, it was Tuskegee Institute, Booker T. Washington's school that George Washington Carver had such a hand in. And uh, our family just loves George Washington Carver and his work with the with the peanut and, and so many other things. Uh, I spent three hours there. I, I told Mike earlier this week, my teaching today on character could have just been reading from George Washington Carver's words. He was a, he was a man of character. Uh, so blatantly Christian that even in a national park, they couldn't whitewash that away. 
just a, just a wonderfully brilliant man. He had many, many opportunities for fame and fortune uh, in the world of industry because of his brilliant science mind, and uh, he never took them. To one such offer, he replied, I can't be bought. To the criticism of not accepting a different offer, which was for huge sums of money in, in industry, uh, they, the, the, the criticism went something like this. Take the job. Get the money. Give it back to the Institute. Help your people. To which George Washington Carver replied, if I had all that money, I might forget my people. He had it right. <clears throat> He loved to experience God's creation, and he loved to teach about it, and that's what he spent his life doing. Uh, they have many video clips of him there you can watch. So it's his, again, it's his own, it's his own words. He died as, as recent as 1943, so there, there was an opportunity to record much of what he said. Uh, he, he did every Sunday evening a Bible teaching at uh, the Carnegie Library, which was the most popular event. Some 300 students always came for his teaching, and he always used... Uh, something of creation, something from creation to uh, explain God, to defend God as creator. And he always wore, every day, he wore a lapel, a little flower on his lapel. Different flower, he just picked it, sort of tucked it in. And he just waited for someone to ask him about the flower. And his response was always the same. Do you know what's in there? Do you know what God created in this flower? And he would go on to tell them all of the interesting parts of the flower and how it, how it worked. He never cashed most of his paychecks. He certainly could have enhanced his public reputation. He could have been a more visible character in industry or in politics, but he stayed true to his gift and his calling as a teacher. He was a man of character. Let me close with this. And uh, Brad and, and Jamie aren't here this morning, but they've, uh, they've led our home study group uh, using the book, This Was Your Life. And it's been a great study. Teresa and I have really enjoyed taking part in it. William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, after having had a dream, a very famous dream that he recorded and, and uh, has, has talked about many times, a dream of dying and being in heaven, but seeing all his works to that point in his life burn up like straw because he had been trying to please men more than he had been trying to please God. But in his dream, he was given a second chance, and in his life, he was given a second chance. And I want to close with this. He made a simple statement, a simple prayer. Grant me the pleasure of knowing that my life has pleased my heavenly king. What a great prayer. Grant me the pleasure of knowing that my life has pleased my heavenly king. May that be our desire and our prayer as well. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that it is alive. Um, Lord Jesus, thank you for... Uh, the way that, uh, that you're teaching me. Thank you for the way that uh, you're convicting me to be someone who seeks to uh, please you, my Lord and my King. May we be a body that honors the name of Jesus Christ above all else, in whose name we pray. Amen.